Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. All right, listeners, I have a treat. We are talking with the CEO of Darkness to Light. Darkness to Light is one of the organizations that is doing kick-ass work in the field of child sexual abuse prevention. And I'm really excited to have Kate with us today to talk about the work that they're doing and how parents can get empowered. Caitlin Brewer is high energy and serves as the entrepreneurial executive who is passionate about empowering people, organizations, and communities to enhance the impact of social movements. As president and CEO of Darkness to Light, since 2016, Caitlin's leadership has resulted in exponential growth in programmatic reach and increased standing as a chief influencer in the space of child safety. Through education, advocacy, and research, Darkness to Light continues to revolutionize the way society keeps children safe from abuse. I think she's just done such an amazing job of course, it's not only her, it's the entire organization that keeps moving this forward. And I'm just so pleased to have her join me today to talk about the issue, how it's changed in 2020, and how we can make an impact going forward to make sure that this issue becomes eradicated. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kate Brewer. All right. So welcome, Caitlin. I am so thrilled to have you here. I love the work that your organization does. And uh, obviously, I'm a huge advocate. Um, I have done the uh, Stewards of Children uh, training and just really love how thorough the programs are and all of the information, the valuable resources that you offer to parents. So thank you for making the time to be here with us today. It's a pleasure, Rosalia. Thank you so much for all you do. I mean, this podcast is so informative and you're reaching an amazing, you know, audience. And so I'm honored to be on today. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here. So, well, since I, you know, I know that you're a champion for children's rights, of course, and I see all the great work that Darkness to Light continues to offer. I would love for you to, um, you know, I, first of all, I also want to say a little caveat is that I love the fact that a lot, the, the effort that the organization makes to make this uh, content also accessible to the Spanish speaking community. Mm -hmm. So for all of the audience that's listening, um, I will definitely add all of the links that you can, you know, tap into to get access to a lot of the Spanish content and the effort that's made to translate even the videos and things like that. Um, you know, from interviews. So thank you for doing that. It's uh, something that I am working slowly towards doing myself. I'm a one woman uh, team. So <laughs> it's it's a little bit harder, but um, I really do appreciate that. So I just wanted to add that in. But for those that don't know um, Darkness to Light, what, what the organization is, can you share what your organization does to help families um, educate and protect families? Yeah, of course. So we're a 20-year-old organization. We were founded in Charleston, South Carolina, and we basically teach adults how to protect children from child sexual abuse. 
And unfortunately, even if it does happen, we teach adults how to recognize it and then report it as well. Um, and we do that through our flagship training, which you just mentioned, Stewards of Children. It's a two-hour training that you can either take with a facilitator or you can take it asynchronously online. Um, and that training is an evidence-informed training. So what does that mean? It means that you know, people like teachers and lawyers and, and whatnot can receive continu continuing education credits uh, towards their professional you know, uh, work that they have to keep up with every year. And we've at this point trained about 2 million people uh, and we have about 13,000 facilitators, I think now who have gone through our facilitator training uh, in 17 countries and all 50 states. So that's amazing. That's yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I hope more and more are getting trained. Um, and well, I'll add some links to that as well for anyone who's listening who is an educator or wants to do that uh, training, because I think it's it's so important um, and really um, just powerful. I mean, I think I think everyone should, you know, be educated on this. Obviously, that's what we're both working towards. Um, but, you know, this pandemic has really brought light to how prevalent child sexual abuse is. Um, recently in the headlines, France is going through sort of a wave of this uh, in terms of incest and, and really acknowledging the, the issue. I actually didn't know that they didn't have an age of consent and now they do, which I think is still too low. They just announced that it's 15. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I think it's finally coming to light. The Me Too movement obviously was great in terms of exposing um, how this is a silent issue, a silent epidemic, really, um, in terms of sexual abuse. But child sexual abuse still seemed to be like this topic that was a little bit extra, you know, taboo, a little more sensitive for people to want to talk about. But I think with this, you know, the pandemic and everyone who's in this championing, you know, uh, families and protecting kids really is stepping up to get loud about this because we're seeing how vulnerable kids really are. Yeah. Can you share what you have seen um, happen in the last year in terms of either statistics or stories that you've heard that can help listeners to really understand and wrap their heads around the issue um, as it currently stands? Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a little background, you know, the common misnomer among people our age who went to school and learned stranger danger um, that child sexual abuse happens with strangers, right? Well, what we actually know is that 90% of children who are abused before the age of 18 are abused by someone that they know and trust. 30% of the time, that is a family member. So what we find, because we don't talk about this very often in, in society in general, is that People don't understand the proximity to child sexual abuse that they exist every day, day in and day out, whether you know about it or not. Um, and so for me, what, why COVID became so unbelievably traumatic for those children who are experiencing child sexual abuse is because they're now quarantined with their abusers um, in, the, in the case of those who are living with their abusers. And so you now have, you know, you're starting to hear about all of these increased rates in suicide. That's why Las Vegas school systems are opening. You're hearing rain report that there has been, you know, an astronomical increase of children reporting their own abuse on their hotline versus adults reporting. Um, and the reality is we know that educators are responsible for 52% nationally in the US of reports overall. And we've seen a 51% drop in reports nationally over the last year. So 
all of these could seem coincidental, but we know, in fact, it is directly related to children not being in schools, not being after school programs, not being around their trusted and safe adults that they've built relationships with. And so for that reason, as we come out of COVID, we're not just going to have to worry about preventing you know, future instances of, of child sexual abuse, but we're going to have to deal with the, the toxic lives that these children have potentially been enduring um, for the last year and the mental health ramifications that that is going to necessitate educators and social workers and you know those who come in contact with these kids once they start to resurface. Um, so it's a it's a deeply heavy realization, but if we don't prepare for it, then you know we're we're going to be caught uh, definitely behind the eight ball. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, you know, there was a point uh, in the middle of the summer, I remember just feeling so ill and helpless, uh, knowing that this was happening. And so just, you know, for anyone who's listening, this is why it's so important that we take some kind of action. And, and it specifically for those listening to this podcast, as survivors, um, it can be a triggering topic, right? But it, this is all the re more reason why it's so important to access support so that you can navigate teaching this information, this really critical information to your children to protect them and to teach them you know, how to speak up and that their voice matters and that they have a right to use it and get help and, and stop any unsafe situation. And most parents here's the thing, right? Most parents want to believe that it's not something that will happen in their home or that it, with right. anyone that they know. Um, and so that seems to be where a lot of parents get stuck is sort of that disbelief that it's something that could happen to their kids because they know where they are or they know what's going on. Um, can I one of, one of the questions that I wanted to also piggyback onto this piece of that is, does age play a factor? Because I think a lot of parents feel like if my child's really young and they're with me, then it's not an issue. And I don't really have to teach this right now. I don't have to focus on it. There's so many other things that are going on. Uh, what do you say to parents, you know, who have that thought and what age should you get started with, with teaching your kids and, and just in general, being more vocal with the people in your child's life about doing this education? A great question. So the answer is immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I was joking around with a, a fellow colleague at the Monique Burr Foundation. We did a, a Facebook Live the other day, and we were talking about the diaper crisis, wherever you know people were talking about should you ask your child for consent around changing the diaper. And while I understand that for some people that might seem utterly ridiculous, clearly your baby is not, you know, has no verbal communication skills at this point. Um, it's actually not for the baby. It's for you, right? It's your job as an adult to practice asking your child for consent so that you can get in the habit of setting healthy boundaries for them at the earliest age possible. Mm -hmm. And so while you might not sit and look at your six month old and think I need to ask, you know, my child whether or not to change their diaper, what you're doing is you're setting those boundaries for yourself because a lot of us did not grow up in a world where consent existed, right? You had to hug your auntie at Christmas or, you know, Shabbat, you had to um, give somebody a kiss on the cheek because your mother told you to. And of course that wasn't, their intent was not to teach you that your body wasn't yours, but ultimately that can be what the, the, the lesson and the absorption of that is for a kid. And so I would say, 
for most parents, you know, retooling and relearning how they teach their kids about healthy boundaries starts immediately. That doesn't mean you have to talk to them about sex when they're incredibly young, but it does mean that you're going to have to teach them anatomically correct words. Um, you know, I, I was in a, a meeting one day where a, a, facil- a darkness to light facilitator in Atlanta um, was joking around that in um, Mexico, they use a nickname for a penis that translates to English as a birdie. And so um, they were the, the child was telling an English speaking teacher that his father was touching his little birdie. And of course the teacher in English assumed that that meant that you know they had a bird at the home and it was a pet and the dad was playing with the bird. In fact, what it meant was that the father was actually sexually abusing that child and the, and the child trusted that teacher enough to disclose, but the teacher did not understand um, what the child was saying. And so when you teach your children anatomically correct words, if something happens to them, they can disclose to you and to anyone, to any safe adult, regardless of what language they're speaking. Um, you know, And so it's those types of things, those little things, those age appropriate things that you have to start from the beginning. We say eight is great around sex, um, but I have to be honest, you know, it, the earliest that you feel your child is mature enough to have a conversation about sex, that's when you should be talking to them about it. Because kids have access to things that they just didn't a long time ago. And what was appropriate for my mother to talk to me isn't necessarily appropriate now. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you shared that story about the, you know, how a word can get lost in translation and actually be such a critical, um, you know, way for a child to communicate something that important and be missed completely because of that. And I remember when I did the training that there was an example like that. And it was the first time I had realized that, you know, how dangerous that could be. So it is important, you know, start as early as possible. And, and even the diaper change, like just being able to get into that practice. I absolutely agree. And it's something I always teach. And it, and here's the the bigger question, I think, because I think you and I may, may even rack our brains about this and you may not necessarily have an answer, but why aren't people paying more attention to this issue? I just feel like it's, you know, epic proportions at this point. And it feels like people just would rather put their heads in the sand. And I rack my brain, how do we get more attention on this? Um, it doesn't have to be a scary thing to, to deal with. It can actually come from being empowered and attacking this issue. But what do you think is the reason that people don't pay more attention to this? Um, I think it's just a, a small question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do we have another hour? Um, so, I mean, I think it's a couple things, right? You know, let's just say it for what it is. It has to do with sex. And in most cultures, no matter where you come from, sex is a taboo issue. And it's not a, a, an issue that is you know, unless you're from Brazil and you're celebrating the day of the orgasm, like I, I, I think like my grandmother, for instance, traditionally Irish Catholic called her vagina, her pocketbook, um, you know, refused to acknowledge that there was pleasure associated with sex. As soon as she stopped having, um, it, like stopped having children, my grandfather and her slept in different rooms. Like we are talking about the purest of the pure, right? So for her to then teach my aunts and uncles and my mom, and then for them to teach us and my generation what sex means and what safe sex looks like and what healthy relationships look like. I mean, talk about 
leaps and bounds beyond where my grandmother, you know, sort of existed. Does that mean my grandmother did so intentionally to hurt us? No, of course not. But that's the side, like she didn't have the same access to information. So we're dealing with respect of generations and elders who taught us to be quiet and reserved. And, you know, so we're dealing with that component of things. We're dealing with a religious component where religion shapes um, for many different people, how we talk about sex and what is appropriate to share. We're dealing with the respect of families, like the family institution. If there's incest, you know, elders might say that respecting the family dynamic is more important than saving that that child from something that's going on. You never disrespect the family name. But bigger than that, we're dealing with a society that only changes things when it's hit at multiple levels, right? So let's take something that's non-sexual for a second. I always talk about this seatbelt instance. In the 70s, people never wore seatbelts. They were like hanging out of station wagons and there weren't car seats. And, you know, it was like a wild little West um, when it came to seatbelts. Over the last 40 years, we have 50 years, God, we're getting old. Um, you know, we have we have created click it or ticket campaigns. We have laws that, you know, you get a fine if you don't wear it. Your mother looks at you in the rear view mirror and says, I'm not pulling out of this driveway before, you know, you put your seatbelt on. Your car dings at you if you don't have your seatbelt on in the front seats, right? So there are tiny little things that push us to change our behaviors. And that came from society collectively changing over time and associating those things with better public health outcomes. So until we as a society recognize that child sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, neglect, all of those things will result in a better public health outcome overall, uh, we're not going to change you know, what's happening. And you and I are going to have the same conversation in five years if we don't continue to push the public health sector to tie these to monetary, you know, benefits for insurance companies and, and things like that. It's such a great question. And it's, I could talk about it for hours. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse. Did you know that children of survivor parents have a five times higher chance of being abused because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools needed to prevent abuse? They tend to overprotect instead of empower and prepare. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Get started by downloading my free guide, Seven Ways to Teach Your Kids About Body Safety, Boundaries, and Consent by going to aboutconsent.com forward slash guide. The link will be in the show notes to get your free copy today. Now let's get back to the show. So I agree with all that you're saying, and and it's interesting because I never uh, looked at that comparison of the seatbelts, but it makes so much sense that there are so many more measures of safety in place. And I think part of it is, is a little bit of reframing it maybe for parents, right? It, it mm-hmm. seems like it's this really scary conversation, like you said, tied to all of these elements that weren't talked about in society. And ironically, of course, we don't want to talk about sex, but the media, culture, society is saturated with it. That's and everything. Yeah. <laughs> including children. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that, uh, 
is is an interesting way of uh, of viewing it and seeing like can we follow that model and maybe speed that process up somehow so that we can make those changes. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think it's people like yourself and the organization and, and organizations like yours. There's, uh, you know, in Canada, there's the uh, Center for Child Protection. These organizations who, you know, are, are calling people in and saying, like, we need more people to do this work together and just keep being loud about it. What can parents do in their communities, right? Because for me, I always say we can eradicate child sexual abuse one family at a time, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it when we look at this problem on that grand scale, it can be very easy to feel overwhelmed and like, I'm helpless. What can I do? It's such a huge issue, but we all have so much power. What can you say to parents that they can do in their communities, maybe besides teaching just their kids? I mean, obviously that is an important piece um, but if they have the capacity to do something else, what would you recommend that they do within their communities to make an impact? There are so many things, and that's such a hard question because I'd love to give like a laundry list of actions and behaviors that you could take. But I, as much as it's hard to talk to your kids about sex, I think it's harder to talk to other adults about this. So for instance, if you're looking for a new daycare situation or you're bringing your kid to an after-school program, you'd probably look to see like, are the outlets covered? Like, are there, you know, is there, uh, are the doors open in the bathroom? You know, things like that. But you wouldn't actually probably ask the head of the group, what is your child's sexual abuse prevention policy? And the reality is anywhere you bring your kid should have a child sexual abuse prevention policy. Um, and then beyond, do you have the policy? How often do you review it? And what are the steps you're taking to actually implement that? Because a lot of organizations will have the policy and never look at it. it sits on in a file on their desktop or you know on a dusty shelf. And so may ask those questions, talk to other adults. Um, you have the right to know that information and your children have the right to be put in a place that's safe. Absolutely. Um, if you don't, if, you, if you're not seeking help, um, daycare, you know, sort of at a formal institution and you're looking at a family member or a friend or whatever, there are ways that you can have a conversation with those people that alerts them that you have open, honest conversations with your children. So for instance, if you have a sister or a brother that's watching your kid on a regular basis, you can say something like, you know, just to let you know, I have told Carlos that um, he, he has a penis and if someone touches his penis, you know, that it's the, it, it, it can be other than him or me, it can be a problem. And so I don't want you to be surprised if you accidentally, you know, if you're playing around and you touch it and he yells at you, like, please don't take offense. It's just my way of having a safe conversation. So what you're doing is you're alerting them to the, the knowledge that your you and your child have open conversations without actually accusing the person who's watching your child of trying to, you know, hurt them or perpetrate against them. So the, talking to other adults, in my opinion, is a really important way to just begin to break down some of those barriers. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I so agree. And I actually um, have created something called consent letters for uh, survivors because I know that it can be a really additionally challenging conversation to have if you don't feel like you have strong boundaries yourself and don't know how to kind of uh, express those on behalf of your child. And I always say we have to be the advocates for our kids until they can advocate for themselves. Right. Interestingly enough, I don't know, maybe you can impart this information, but the reason that I actually created those consent letters in the first place was the first one I created was a medical consent letter because of what happened to Ali Reese, uh, Reisman mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, with her, her abuse. Um, and it was a medical consent letter to say to the doctor, we are teaching consent at home. This is how we, how we uh, practice that. And so that you, you know, and that you can understand how we also have that expectation of that physical interaction, right? And just, again, the same reason it's not to accuse anyone, it's just to inform them and to be vocal in our communities with the people that interact with our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that you said that. And, you know, there, it doesn't have to be accusatory at all. It it can be actually a, a conversation that helps us call people in to this work, because if they're on board and they're like, that's amazing, that's exciting that you're doing that, how can I help? Well, you now know that you have someone on board who wants to participate in helping your child be safe. So I absolutely love that. To just switch gears a little bit, um, I recently watched uh, a video where you had a talk with uh, Nick Mick. And so for those who are not familiar with that acronym, it's the uh, National Center for for Exploited and Missing Children. Is that correct? Okay. And uh, you, it was a specific talk um, about the issue of um, child sex trafficking in, in this, specifically in the digital world. And you had said something that was so, uh, I knew that it was around this number, but it was, it says 70 to 90% of those who are trafficked commercially are first exploited, uh, in non-commercial ways. Right. So it, which obviously puts them in a higher, uh, vulnerable category for being exploited. And as it relates to the digital space, Uh, I think that a lot of parents feel like they are on top of what their kids are watching or doing. And they've had those conversations of like, you know, it kind of falls back to that stranger danger mentality of like, my kids know not to talk to strangers online. Um, But what we're seeing is that more and more, it's actually peer to peer. um, And that there are other ways that uh, kids are being introduced to strangers. Like if they're friends with that person, then the child automatically trust them and doesn't feel like it's a stranger, right? So there's all of these ways that kids are being tricked really um, into these dangerous situations online. And so I I wanted to ask, as it relates to online uh, safety, what do you recommend to parents that they can start doing to better either educate their kids or monitor? What what do you feel is is the best way for them to get started on keeping their kids safe digitally? Yeah. I mean, my, my funny answer is just annoy them, annoy them, um, by being in their digital space all the time. Right. They, the reality is you're legally liable for anything that your child does on, um, on their phone or what, because they are not of, you know, consent, uh, adult age. So the parents who sort of want to play the friendship role, I get it. Parenting a teenager is, super hard and not because I am a parent of a teenager because I was a teenager and I know how hard it was to parent me. 
Um, and so I, I, I hear that you want to sort of strike that boundary, but this is a place where I'm telling you, you do not know what your kids are doing online. Um, and it could be fine, but it also could be that they are being blackmailed by someone who has put them in very precarious situations and do not have the coping skills to be able to get out of it themselves. And they're scared to death to tell you that they might've sent a nude photo or that they've done you know, something that's really embarrassing. And so if you are in their space, you will know before it escalates. And I think that is so important in the new age of keeping kids safe you don't have to be fearful um, every day. You have to let your kids explore. They're going to have to, you know, sort of step out into the world gradually. And that rope that you sort of tether them on gets longer and longer the older they get. But they still don't have the coping skills um, that you fully need to be able to handle someone who manipulates and grooms children on that level. And so my recommendation is, you know, be be the parent and and be a little, be willing to have those uncomfortable and, and excuse me, semi-annoying conversations with your kids. Um, because as fast as we can teach you how to keep them safe, you know, perpetrators are out there trying to figure out a new way to connect with your kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And one of the, I, I follow um, the Child Rescue Coalition quite closely and I was shocked when I found out that there were predator manuals that were created and distributed within these online peer-to-peer uh, -peer communities, mostly in the dark web. Um, and when I tell parents that, it, you know, it's it's very shocking, you know, just as it was for me when I first heard it. Um, and they don't realize that the, throughout this pandemic, they have been uh, really trying to educate each other on how to get better and better at accessing children online. And if we are not taking that level of, you know, action ourselves as parents within these communities of parents to say, look, this is what I'm found, what I found out, I think we should all band together and like educate ourselves and, you know, be better about how, you know, watching what our children are doing online and, you know, like just coming together as, a, a global parent community to really mm. combat these other communities that are dangerous, predatory um, spaces that are actively working, you know, every day on how to, I, I mean, I was just beside myself shocked when I first heard this and it hasn't gotten better. Um, you know, law enforcement seems to be uh, at capacity and we can't just say, you know, tech companies are going to do something about it. The law is going to do something about it. Um, it's happening somewhere else in some other part of the world. It's not going to happen in my home. Um, so I just want to encourage parents, please do the due diligence of informing yourself. Uh, Darkness to Light has amazing resources that are available for free, um, as well as some that are paid. Is that correct? Because I, I know that I remember hearing you were saying that there are some uh, products that are now available and that helps to offset some of the costs that the organization has. Um, but I also encourage people to donate. This is an amazing organization um, that is continuously doing the work to educate all of us, including the educators who need to stay on top of this. And we, I certainly can't do it alone. We all need to do this together. Um, so I wanna encourage everyone to, to please, you know, donate to this organization or purchase the products that can help you uh, educate yourself. And before we wrap up, I know that the yearly uh, conference is coming up, Ignite. Is that open to the public or is that only for uh, certain, uh, certain people? Yeah, there is a fee for attending. Um, this year it will be 100% virtual. 
Uh, so you're more than welcome to attend and live stream us while you're answering emails um, for your day jobs. But we would love to have anyone come on. We're going to be announcing some really fun announcements this year, uh, including uh, an app that we are have been developing for the last year. And that app is specifically going to be focused on giving parents day-to-day -day tools on how to have some of the conversations that you and I just talked about. So awesome. um, if, if you attend the conference, you'll have early access to the app, which is really cool. That's awesome. Awesome. Exciting. Well, I will definitely add the link to that in the show notes for anyone who's listening and is interested. I definitely encourage educators, um, therapists, anyone who is in the space that wants to help prevent this crime, uh, please consider registering for that. It's happening in April. Um, I don't remember the dates off the top of my head, but I'll have all that info in the show notes. 27 to the 28th. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. So towards the end um, of April, and April is, for anyone who's not aware, it is uh, Child Sexual Abuse Prevention and Awareness Month. So it's a perfect time to dive into it and, and learn as much as you can. Um, and right now, while we're recording, we're in February and it is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month as well. So, um, you know, we tend to think like we're going to put it off till our kids are old enough to have to have those conversations. But educating ourselves now about this can also help prevent uh, abusive relationships for our teens in the future. When when kids know about abuse prevention early, they can recognize, uh, you know, all of those red flags of unhealthy relationships and boundary violations or crossings. So, you know, this is another reason we're not just protecting kids when they're little. We're helping them learn how to have safe and healthy relationships as they grow up. So. I wanted to wrap it up with just asking what is in store for you personally? I know that, you know, you, you have always lots of stuff going on, but what's going to, what can we expect this year from darkness to light? I, I'm, you mentioned the app, so that sounds quite mm -hmm. exciting. Is there anything else that you wanted to share about what people can expect? Yeah. Um, well, we, I was this morning, actually, I am looking at first cuts of our stewards of children training for India. So um, for those of you who have taken Stewards of Children, you know that it's a survivor-based, individual experience-based um, training that sort of allows people to see child sexual abuse through the eyes of those who have um, personally experienced it, coupled with experts talking about how to prevent some of those things. And we, we went to India, we're working with an organization there, and we are, um, we're we're basically duplicating stewards of children with Indian survivors and Indian experts. And uh, I have to tell you, it's uh, really exciting to see that all coming together. So hopefully COVID postponed so much, but hopefully this year we will be releasing our Indian training because in India, it's one in two people will be sexually abused before the age of 18, which is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a lot. So um, yeah. We're, we're, about our partnership there with Jeevan and Har. That really makes my heart happy, I have to tell you, because I, you know, I have become aware um, over the last year just how big of a problem it is in India. I was shocked um, even recently with the newest case that just came out where the Supreme Court ruled that as long as a child has clothes on, it's not sexual molestation, and which is mind-blowing. And just another example of rape culture institutionalized. And, and I think that's so amazing that you're offering that program there now. So kudos to you and in the organization for that. I think that's amazing. And I'm so glad that, that that's another resource they can tap into. 
Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Listeners, if you got value from this today, please screenshot it and tag us on Instagram. Let us know what were your favorite takeaways. And also, as always, what action are you going to take? What can you do today and ongoing that is going to impact your family in a positive way, empower you and help you to thrive. We would love to know. So please be sure to do that. And if this helped you and you know other parents that can benefit from this, please be sure to share it. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, listeners, we'll see you next time. Stay empowered. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.